As we mentioned last week, there'll be no children's church, so stay put and uh, get comfortable. So kids, go to sleep if you want, that's fine. Parents, stay awake please. A uh, couple things, last week during prayer time, someone um, someone had the prayer request that we needed rain, and so thank the Lord we did get rain. Let's be a little more specific though, uh, let's have it during the week and not on the weekend. So I know you're seeing fireworks, but... You know, the most of us would, you know, would l- glad to have that on Wednesday and Thursday, but no, we'll, we'll take it whenever we can get it, and that, that is great. would ask that, uh, that you be in prayer for Reed and I. We'll be, uh, next Sunday at this time, we'll actually be in Mexico at a, a church service in, uh, in Juarez, Mexico, Galeana Christian Church, so, um, or Iglesia de Cristo. Um, so be in prayer for us as we head to Mexico with a group of about 26 other people or 24 other people. Uh, to build a couple houses there. So if you'd be in prayer for us, we'd appreciate that. Uh, and you have a treat. I think next week, um, uh, Rodney Raymond's going to be here to, to fill the pulpit to share, and, and uh, he'll do just a, a fabulous job, uh, uh, Christine's dad. Did you ever get more than you expected? Did you ever get more than you expected? I was a, a 19-year-old college student home for Christmas break, and we, we had gathered, our family had all gathered at my grandparents' uh, house, and and we're celebrating. It came in the time that my that, that Grandma gave her Christmas present. Years before, Grandma had stopped buying us gifts and just gave us a, a check, gave us money, which was fine with me. You know, that way I could get what I wanted. And uh, so, so it came to that time of celebration. She walked over and picked up a stack of envelopes, and she passed the envelopes out to my four sisters and my brother and myself, and then also... Uh, uh, my four oldest siblings had uh, were married, so to, to their spouses, and 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 we really weren't that excited. I, I mean, we were appreciative, we were thankful. Um, I, I knew the check was going to be for a hundred dollars because that's what Grandma gave us every year. So now that may not seem like a lot, but back in 1977, that was a ton. With a hundred bucks, I could go buy some clothes. I could go buy some eight-track tapes. Uh, kids, ask your grandparents what those are, and they'll explain. Um, but I, I could, uh, I mean, I could do a lot, and then I'd still have money left over. So we weren't thrilled because we knew what the check was. So she handed them out, and and we somewhat in unison. It's not like she counted one, two, three, open. But about the same time, we all opened the envelope, and there was a collect, uh, collective gasp um, uh, among my siblings and and their their spouses. And, and then kind of all of us looked at Grandma, and then we looked at each other, and and the looking at each other was almost like is your check what mine is? You know, because I was thinking, well, maybe I'm her favorite, and so she gave me more of that year. But, but I could tell by the look on everyone's face that they were just as shocked as I was because that year, instead of $100, there was a check for $500. And, oh, you talk about, boy, that was Christmas. We got up and all, you know, great grandma and grandpa, a big hug, and we're so appreciative. We got so much more than we were expecting. It was it was at least 20 years later before I found out why we got that much money that year. Uh, my grandparents had a German Shepherd, and that dog had bit someone, and they thought they were going to get sued. So they decided, well, just, we'll give it to our grandkids. Had I known that, had I known that, I might have sent a friend over to say the dog bit him every year, say about November, threaten a lawsuit. No, I wouldn't have done, done that. But, but we got more than we expected. Ephesians chapter 3, we're, we're there today in Ephesians 3. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. 
if you could have more than you could imagine, if you could have more, what would it be? I would imagine a lot of us might say, I wish I, wish I had more money. I wish I, uh, I, I had more wealth. I wish I had more stuff to do with. Uh, but, but if you're here today and, and, uh, and, and your health is bad, you would say, I wish I could have more health. If you lived in a, uh, in, in a war-torn country, so many of them in our world, you, you'd be saying, man, I wish I could have more peace. If you've been without a job for a while and you're struggling to find gainful employment, you might say, I wish I could have more work, more, more jobs. If you're a teenage boy here today and you don't have a girlfriend, I wish I could have more girlfriends or something like that. But I'm here to tell you that, that, that God wants us to have more. I don't know about the girlfriend part, but God does want us to have more. And in Ephesians chapter 3, he really talks about something that he wants us to have more of, and it's this, more power. More power. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. We're going to look at the second half of the chapter today, uh, starting with verse 14 down through the end of the chapter. Let me read that uh, with you today. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. So we're, we're, it's a start of a prayer. Paul's going to pray for the, 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 the church at Ephesus. But it's a prayer that's not just not just for them, but really transcends time, and it's a prayer for Troy Christian Church. And if you want to get even a little more focused and specific that, it's a specific than that, it's a prayer for you individually. This is what Paul's prayer is. I, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he might strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints. Now let me just uh, throw something there. Together with all the saints to grasp. Let me just throw this out. We've talked about this several times already in Ephesians, that one of the things Paul's trying to teach this church is that they belong. Uh, talked about adoption, talked about being selected, talked about being heirs. Paul just hits this point over and over again that they belong. It's not just the Jews, but but they're part of the family. So when he says, I, I, I hope that you can grasp, that's really kind of what he's saying there again. Figure it out, guys. It's yours as well. Uh, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and established in love, a power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him... Verse 20, who is able to do a measure more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. We're going to look today at three, uh, three ways that he's talking um, uh, about power here, three ways that it needs to be present in our life. The first one is I think he, he talks about a personal power, a, a power that uh, that, that is for us as an individual that comes from inside of us. Uh, notice what he says in verse, uh, uh, verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. I pray that you may have a personal power. Now notice what he doesn't pray for. He doesn't pray for a blessing. Uh, he's praying for the church here at Ephesus. He, he's lifting them up. What he's, what he's praying for, or what he's not praying for here, is a blessing. He's not praying that God will show favor on the church at Ephesus. 
He's not praying that everything will go great for the church at Ephesus. He's not saying, man, I hope you guys get everything you want. I hope life is easy. I hope you walk through life and you just feel tremendously blessed all the time. Uh, I was on the phone earlier this week with my uh, middle son, Joel, and he was telling me about a, uh, um, a situation with his career. He's, he's looking to switch careers, and uh, he would got some information this week that, that, that his, uh, uh, his references had been contacted. So, it, you know, hey, this looks good. Maybe, maybe it's going to work out for him. And so he was telling me about that. So when I got the phone with him, I began to pray for, for, for Joel specifically, and then, then I prayed for my other children, my grandchildren, and when I was done, I realized that, and there's nothing wrong with this. In fact, I would encourage it for you, encourage it for myself as well. But I realized that most of my prayers were prayers of blessing. I wasn't praying that, that, uh, that life would be tough so they could grow from that. I was praying, Lord, bless them. I was praying specifically for Joel. Lord, you know, this would be a great opportunity for him. You know, he would be so happy. But, but I prayed for blessing. Again, that's not, that, there's nothing wrong there, but that's not what Paul prayed for. He didn't pray for a blessing. Instead, he prayed for their heart. See, his prayer was not about physical or material gain or making life easy. It was about what was going on on the inside. It was about their, uh, about their relationship, about their heart. Paul used this terminology there when he, he, he said, that you may have power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul uses that phrase twice here in Ephesus or in Ephesians. And he also uses it in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let me read those verses and you'll kind of catch the context and, and realize what he means there. Uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, 16 through 18. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly, or in our inner being, we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what on, on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So Paul, Paul, when he uses that the second time, you know, he's talking about, hey, we got all this garbage that's happened, all this trouble, all, but it's okay. Because we're working on what's on the inside. So Paul doesn't pray for a blessing. He prays for their heart. And, and verse 16 says, it's out of his glorious riches that they may be strengthened in power. What's he talking about? Glorious riches. Ephesians 1.18, I think we mentioned this again last week. Ephesians 1.18 says this, I pray also, excuse me, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may may know the hope to which you've been called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 7, in order that in the coming ages he might show you the incomparable Riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Paul here is asking that God give us power, that he give the church at Ephesus and us power where? Not, not power that life is great and everything falls in. No, power in our inner being. Power in our spirit. Power in our heart. Power in, in our faith. He's praying that out of the bottomless well of his hope, and the unending vastness of His grace, He will strengthen us with power. Rick Warren, in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, probably several of you have read that, says this, God's ultimate goal for your life on earth is not comfort. It's not comfort, but character development. He wants you to grow up spiritually and become like Christ. 
Later in Ephesians chapter 5, we'll see that Paul calls us to be imitators of God. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul says we're to have the same mind as Christ, or to be like Him. Peter says in, in, in the first book of 1 Peter, says, be holy as I am holy. In other words, he's not calling us and, and promises a life that's, that's jovial, a life that's a carnival. Instead, that we're called to character, called to be like Christ. His first prayer, or the first application of this prayer, is that we'll be strengthened in power, in our spirit, in our inner being, in who we are, in our faith, in our character. Paul says, have power in who you are, in me. He, he prays for a personal power, but he also prays for a productive power. Look at verse 17, actually the last part of verse 17. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of, the, of all the fullness of God. He prays that we will have power. Power to grasp, to comprehend, to understand, to internalize, to believe, to wrap our, our mind and our heart around it, to, to get a hold of it and let it get a hold of us. Power that we will grasp what? That we are loved. We'll look at two things here, actually. The first one is we are loved. Power to know the love of Christ and that He loves us. He wants us to grasp that you are loved. Now, you may disagree with me, and I'll tell you like uh, a professor I had, Wilbur Fields, used to say this. He would say, you, you can disagree with me. It's all right. You can be wrong if you want to. Um, so you can disagree with me on this, but the truth is, even in the church, even in the church, there are people that are struggling to grasp that God loves them. Now, I, I know it's outside the church. I know people that don't know Jesus that that have never had relationships, certainly do, certainly struggle to think, well, God loves me, I, I don't get that. But even in the church, uh, my 25 to 30 years of, of, of experience in ministry uh, has told me and shown me over and over again with many people that, that they're in the church and they're believers and they love the Lord, but they struggle with believing that God can love them. And, and I can tell you that, I know that is true because I know it firsthand and personally that sometimes it's a struggle to believe that Jesus can really love me. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, what are you talking about? Of course, of course Jesus loves me. In fact, that was, that was the first song I learned as a little, little toddler. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells you, what are you talking about? I, I know that Jesus loves me. I'm confident that Jesus loves me. He, he, he loves me, doesn't he? The church tells me he loves me. I heard the preacher tell me he loves me. But doesn't it sometimes creep in the back of our minds and our hearts? Doesn't Satan plant that seed every once in a while? That, But what if? What if God knew who I really was? Uh-oh. If he's God, then he probably does know that. What, what if God, and, and all he does know that, knows what I've done? And, and, and what if God knows what I've said? And Man, not just that, He knows what I've thought. And, and all my thoughts haven't been pure. I've had a few impure thoughts there too. God knows my even my inner 
thinking. He knows my failures. He knows my doubts. He knows my struggles. He knows my struggle with sin and with faith. How We end up with, how could Jesus love me if he really knows who I am? It was probably, I don't know, 15, 16 years ago. I'd have to do the math. Reed and I were coming home from St. Joe. Our oldest or our youngest son was with, was with us. He was a junior or senior in high school at the time. We got about, uh, I don't know, six miles from home, and the, the car we were driving in died. Turned out it was the, the timing belt broke, and I mean, we're going one minute, next minute, we're dead. Uh, it's late July, early August. It's a uh, hot summer day. Uh, I don't know, it's about 10 o'clock at night. We get uh, we get out of the car. We don't have cell phones at, at that point at that time. And so we get out of the car, and I, I guess we were going to walk home. I don't know. It's six or seven miles. Uh, we'd at least get to halls where we, we knew some people. They could help us possibly. But So we get out of the car and just start walking. And it, it's it's a hot evening. It's not all that uncomfortable. But it's hot out. and uh, uh, But but the moon, the, it's a, a moonless sky, so it's it's really dark as well. And we're in a stretch there where there's no houses. And we're walking along, and I take a step. And then I step on something, and I'll tell you my first thought was, and I totally un- irrational, I don't know why I thought this, my first thought was, I stepped on a rotten watermelon. Now, what a rotten watermelon would do, be doing sitting alongside the highway, I have no idea. But that was my first thought. Man, I just stepped in a watermelon. And about two steps or three steps later, the aroma that I smelled confirmed to me that it was not a watermelon. Uh, I actually checked the next day. We didn't go back and look, but I checked the next day when I get, went to get the car. What it was was a raccoon. That was a raccoon that hadn't died that night or that morning or the night before. It had been <laughs> several, several days before that it had, lay, had been laid to rest there alongside the highway. And I'm sure it had ballooned to about twice its regular size. So when I stepped on this raccoon, I my foot entered deep into its body cavity, and my foot came out, my sock, my shoe, my foot came out covered in the aromic juices of this uh, bloated uh, raccoon. And with every step, a, a, new, uh, a new burst of, of, of smell would, would waft its way up. Reed and Caleb got uh, upwind of me, so they didn't have to do it. So, so we're still walking. I'm walking, squish, squish, oh, and, and a car comes by and passes us and pulls off the road just, you know, as quick as it could get, about 30, 40 yards in front of us. The guy opens the door, steps out. Do you guys need some help? I was like, yeah. So we start running, squish, squish, squish. And we get up. It turns out it's a guy I kind of knew. Uh, he's from DeKalb. There's triplets, the McClurg triplets. I don't know if any of you know any of the McClurgs, but... Um, uh, we knew one of one of his uh, triplet brothers really well, but uh, I, I kind of knew who he was. He kind of knew who I was. and said, yeah, our car broke down. Can you take us home? He said, you know, we just live in Rushville. So no big deal. So we get in the car. Caleb and Rita get in the back seat. I get in the front seat. We sit down. You know, it's hot. He's got the windows rolled up. That air conditioner, oh, that felt so good, the, the cold air. And he starts to pull away, and then he looks over at me. He didn't say anything, but so I felt like I needed to say something, so I stepped in something. Thought it was a watermelon, but it, I think it was a raccoon or possum or something. But, but you know, our, our Savior for that night, the guy that was going to save us from our predicament, you know what, what he did? He didn't do anything. He didn't say anything. He drove us home 
put us out. Anything else you can do for you? He had every right. In fact, I don't know why he didn't do this. Why he didn't say, well, do you mind getting out of the car? I'll take your wife home and then she can come pick you up. He had every right, because I imagine for the next week or so, his car smelled like uh, my foot did that night. He had every right to say, get out of the car. You're covered in filth. You're covered in grossness. You're, you're nasty. Get out of my car. I don't want you here. Isn't, isn't that kind of the relationship we have with Jesus? Doesn't he have every right? And, and this is what we sometimes think. Doesn't he have every right to say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sinless. I, I did this earth thing and I did it without sin. I don't want you around me. But Scripture says that's not what it is. That's not what he did. Instead, he takes us just as we are. Uh, Romans 5.8 says God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners. While we were still covered in filth. While we still were gross. While we still stunk things up. Christ died for us. And, and, and so our Savior doesn't care what we've done, where we've been, what we look like, what we smell. He doesn't care what filth is on us. He says, you're welcome. Uh, and he washes us, he cleanses us, he cleans us with his own blood and his own grace. It, it produces power. Why do we need to grasp this? Why do we need to get, a, uh, get an idea of this productive power? Because when we, when we understand that we're loved, when we understand that we're loved, it changes us. Um, Today, probably, this will happen after the service. It, it happened actually last Sunday morning, I think. Um, but after the service, some husband's going to be standing here in the aisle or maybe just out there at the back door, and your wife's going to come up to you, and she's going to hand you her purse. And you say, I've got, hold this, I've got to go somewhere else. And so, you're, guys, you're going to be standing there. So, so ladies, just do that today, if you will. You're going to be standing there holding your wife's purse, and someone's gonna, some smart eye's going to come up and say, ooh, it matches your outfit. Uh, that's you, that'll probably be me if I see you. Um, in fact, Rita, can I see your purse? Yeah. So if I hold her purse today, isn't it lucky that she grabbed a red purse today and it matches my, my shirt? But someone's going to come up. Why do, we, why do we put ourselves in that situation? Well, number one, we don't have a choice. Our wife just throws it at us and takes off, so we're stuck there. But, but we do it partly because we, we love our wives and they tell us to hold their purse. Even though someone's going to make fun of us, we, we'll do it. But let me suggest another reason. And it really shows the whole picture. It shows the whole relationship. We do it also because we know that we're loved. When, when I know that I'm loved, it changes me. It changes what I do and how I act. Um, it's, it's been a long time ago. Before Reed and I moved to Rushville, we lived in Baton Rouge. I was the associate pastor, youth pastor at uh, Calvary Christian Church there. And we were at the mall one day, and we, we were out probably in pennies or... Uh, someplace like that. We're, we're walking through and we're shopping. Well, Rita's shopping. I'm just muddling along behind her and, uh, and, and just going where she goes. And, and as we're walking, she walks into the, I don't know what you, the, the department's kind of the intimate apparel department. I don't know what you, lingerie, all that kind of stuff. She was, and, and, I, and I, I caught myself just short. I almost followed her in and then I realized where we were heading and I, ooh, I'm, step, I'm staying out. And, and I remember that specifically because there was like three other guys, three other husbands that were standing out in the aisle 
almost like, I'm not going in there. There's no way you're going to get me in there. So we're all standing there. At that point, I, you know, I, I, I wish I had, had bought like a, a skill saw or something, was holding a tool there, like, yeah, I'm, I'm man, I'm, I'm out here. One guy was holding his wife's purse, the poor sap, you know. And uh, so, so, so we're standing there, and then I hear the words that brought the hair up on the back of my neck and, and caused me to cringe. I, I heard this, honey, come here. And, uh, and I, I ignored it at first because I, I was, oh, who's that, you know? And then, and then it got a little more specific. Tim, come here. So I stepped in. You know, one of the guys, I'll be praying for you, and someone else, you know, like that. And I head in. And I, I'll be honest, I hate going into that department. You know, that is the one department where all the racks are really close together. And you, I can't walk in there without knocking something off. And then what do you do? You leave it? Well, my mom taught me better than that. But you pick it up, and then you know, one of the guys going to yell, ooh, it goes with your, <laughs> match your outfit. Get it in black, you know. And uh, <laughs> why why do we why do we do things like that? Why why do we put ourselves there? Why are we willing to go somewhere that we wouldn't go? Well, because we love our wife, but I think also just as powerful is that we know we're loved. Because we know we're loved, we do things we wouldn't normally do. Uh, Paul prays here that we'll grasp how much Jesus loves us. And when we do it, empowers us to do things we wouldn't normally do. That's the power to know that He loves us. A second way that we can apply that is, is not just that, uh, that we're to grasp how much we're loved. We're also to grasp that we are to love. So we can interpret it that way. And I really think both interpretations are fair. Both interpretations are, are okay. That, that He wants us to grasp His love so that we love like him. See, we don't fully understand the love of Christ until we're willing to love like Christ. Let me say that again. We don't fully understand the love of Christ until we're willing to love like Him. Erwin McManus has written a book called Seizing Your Divine Moments. The book is about, he puts forth the premise that God has divine moments for us, opportunities that are just for us, that are divine. When we hit there, that's what God's plan and sometimes we see them and act on them, sometimes we don't. Kind of goes back to Ephesians chapter 2.10, where it says we're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared ahead of time. It's kind of that idea. Uh, but in his book, he tells this story. It's a time where he missed a divine moment, but his son didn't. He was in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, speaking at a conference of college kids. In fact, every night he was speaking to a group of a 1,000 college kids. And his main topic that, that week was, was talking about living a life of love and sacrifice. One afternoon, they had uh, had some time off from the conference, and he had taken his family with him and made it a, a work and vacation kind of trip. And so one afternoon, they headed down to the beach at Fort Lauderdale, and it said as, as he was herding his family down, he had two or three small kids and trying to get them all together, and they were dragging coolers and all kinds of you know beach stuff. And, and as they're, they're getting ready to go on the beach and head off to the right, he notices a guy that's that's a double amputee with crutches in the sand, trying to move in the sand, and, and and the guy lost his balance and fell. McManus said, "I saw it. My first thought was I need to help him, and then the second thought was, man, I got all these kids, and and so he tried to steer his family to the left. Maybe they didn't see it, but he said his ten-year-old son Aaron saw it, 
And he looked up at his dad and he said, Dad, I've got to do something. McManus said, I'd missed my divine moment, but Aaron hadn't missed him. So I said to him, go. He said his, his son ran over and tried to help the, the guy up, but he was, he, Aaron was too small and this guy was too big and he struggled. But, but as he struggled, other people saw it and, and came over, some college kids, and they, they helped him get back on his crutches and helped him to where he needed to go. And he said his son Aaron came back to him uh, with tears in his eyes. He said, Dad, he was too heavy. I just couldn't help him up. McManus says, but I looked at my son and I said, son, it was your love. It was your action of love that inspired others to respond. Tony Campolo tells the time that he took his 17-year-old son, Bart, to uh, uh, Port-au-Prince, Haiti. So they, they, they left the hotel and they were walking down the streets when, when the street children saw these two obviously American men and, and the, the street children came running up to them and, and began to beg them for pennies. Uh, Campolo says he, his son Bart reached into his pocket to grab some change, and, and he leaned over to him and said, Bart, if you, if you give any of it, they, they'll keep bugging you till, till, till you give it all, till you have nothing left. Campolo says he, his response cut me to the core because he said, my son looked at me and said, so? We, uh, we are empowered with a productive power. When, when we understand just how much we're loved, it's a love that, that we see, but it's a love that also puts us into action. Mother Teresa says this, we, know, we must know that we've been created for greater things, not just to be a number in the world, not just to go for diplomas and degrees, this work and that work. We have been created in order to love and to be loved. At the end of life, we will not be judged by how many diplomas we've received, how much money we've made, or how many great things we've done. We will be judged by, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was homeless, and you took me in. Paul prays for a productive power, a power that helps us grasp how much Christ loves us, and a power that in turn helps us love like Him. And a third thing, and we'll close with this, the third thing we see here is a powerful power, a personal power, productive, but also a powerful power. Verses 20 and 21 says this, Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. He talks about a power that is more than. Can you imagine what God can do in your life? The truth is we probably struggle with that. The truth is I can't imagine what God can do, but He can. He can do more than you can think of. He can cause you to love deeper than you can. He can cause you to give sacrificially more than you thought you could. He can cause you to reach out and touch people more than, than you thought you could. There is a power there to do more than. What, what does God need to do, need you to do in your life? What challenges has He placed on your heart? What obstacles does He need you to hurdle? What pain does He need to heal? What sin does He need to forgive? 
what direction does he need to move you? What small or great thing has he called you to? Paul says there's a powerful power to do immeasurably more than all we could ask. God can do great things in your life, but you have to use His power. Our, our, our worship team, in fact, worship team, why don't you come on uh, up here as I, I, I finish. Our, our worship team, uh, I, I, I appreciate and just love to, to hear them play every, every Sunday. So much, so much talent, so much, uh, so much passion there. Uh, but I, 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 I want to point something out as, as, as the guys jump on their guitars. Now, they, they could unplug them, and, uh, and we probably could still hear, hear the acoustic guitars. Uh, but, but it's when they're plugged in that you really hear it. Bruce does a great job on the bass, but I'll guarantee you this. He unplugs that bass, you're not going to hear it. Uh, you got electronic drums that, that I guess they're plugged in, aren't they? Are electronic drums plugged in? Yeah, okay. We, we unplug that, and AO's going to be pretty, he's going to be out there pounding away, but we're not going to hear him. But when you plug into the power, when you put the jack in the acoustic guitars and the bass and the, the drums, you can hear it. There's power when you plug it in. And Jesus wants to give us more power. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you today for the promise that you've given us, a promise of more power. Father, help us uh, understand that that's very personal to us, that you want our inner beings. You don't really care that life is easy for us or that that, that we're comfortable. Father, you probably actually would, would prefer the opposite of that. But you want our inner being, you want our spirit, our hearts to be moved. Uh, Father, you, you want us to have a, uh, a productive power, a power that is moved and changes us because we know we're loved, and then, and then we put that into action in loving. And Father, you want us to be powerful, to do more than, than we could even think or dream or plan for. Father, give us, uh, give us more power. In Jesus' name, amen.